0: Success is about more than just business strategies. It's also about aligning with your higher purpose and clearing inner obstacles that stand in the way. I say this because you deserve to do what you love and to feel fulfilled along the way. And the reality is you're likely spending more time than you'd like to stuck in self-doubt. You may be asking yourself things like, why do I never seem to reach my biggest goals no matter how hard I work? Or, Why do I never quite feel like I've done enough, have enough, or am enough? If any of these sound familiar, you are not alone, and I've been there too. The good news is that the solution is simpler than you think. I'm sharing it inside my new four day women's immersion, the Inner Critic Cure. This live four day event includes daily classes, potent practices, and a brilliant, supportive community of like minded women. And best of all, it's only $37. This method is gentle yet powerful, and it actually works even when others haven't because it's based on a proven psychotherapeutic framework called Internal Family Systems or IFS. By the time you leave, you'll have the knowledge and tools to not only heal your relationship with those harsh inner voices, but to turn them into your strongest allies now and for the rest of your life. So join us to discover how to put an end to those negative voices that have held you back from your biggest dreams and desires, so you can live into the full potential you know is possible for you in both your business and in your life. You can learn more and join us inside The Inner Critic Cure at programs-sarahavonstover.com forward slash immersion. That's programs-sarahavonstover.com forward slash immersion. I'd love to see you there. Hello sisters, welcome to She Talks, a space for heartfelt conversations around everything pertaining to feminine spiritual practice. I created this to hopefully help you enhance every area of your life, sex and relationships, daily rituals and creativity, health and healing, meditation and yoga finances and business, and, of course, exquisite self-care. I'm Sarah Von Stover, and on today's episode, which is the second to last in our summertime series, Poolside Sutras, we're going to focus on a branch in women's yoga that doesn't get much airtime, a branch that holds tremendous healing power and potential for us as women. And I'll share a lot more about that in a moment, but before we get started, I want to mention that the topics I'm speaking about in this summertime series are those that women come to my Shi Yoga and Meditation teacher training for hands-on support with. Because talking alone isn't enough. For real transformation, we need to embody these teachings We need to spend time with teachers and spiritual communities, or in our case, sisterhood, to really let them sink into the cellular level so that real change can happen. In the Shi Yoga and Meditation Teacher Training, which is a week-long intensive for yoga teachers, aspiring yoga teachers, and practitioners wanting to deepen their experience in feminine spirituality, particularly women's yoga and meditation, You'll get the very best of me personalized, intimate, direct support and hand holding around every area of your practice life and your service of teaching that to other women. I'll share the under the hood approach I've taken to help lead thousands of women worldwide to greater freedom, happiness, and empowerment. So I've taught versions of this training in Hong Kong. Dubai, Beijing, Thailand, Mexico in the US. And in it, we cover everything from adjusting your practice to your season of life, like PMS, menses, menopause, pregnancy, to creative and effective sequencing, to meditations to help generate genuine self love and compassion. Because being a woman is often quite stressful and confusing, and a lot of times we don't really get the support and refuge we need in a traditional yoga practice or yoga class. We still struggle with our bodies, our relationships, our finances, careers, self-esteem, hormones, the list goes on and on, not to mention trying to do good in a world that often seems to be moving in the opposite direction. But by coming together as a sisterhood for this program, women see a huge reduction in their stress and a huge surge in their joy and their clarity and their self-love. They learn to create strong and flexible boundaries, to speak their truth, to create from an authentic place without burning out, and to overcome crippling self-doubt and self-criticism. Truly, it's one week that will change your life forever for the better, and I see it again and again, time after time. Each of these intensives, honestly, keeps getting better and better, but don't take my word for it, okay? Hear it from the women who've attended these in the past by reading their words directly, as well as every last detail about this program, which we've exquisitely mapped out for you at sheyogatraining.com. And here's the thing, registration ends really soon. And many of our room options have already sold out or are in the process of selling out. So don't wait too much longer to check it out if you're feeling called. Because we do only open registration for once a year. We do only offer this training once a year. So this isn't to pressure you, this isn't to rush you. Please honor your own inner knowing and your own pacing, but I wanna be sure to communicate honestly and transparently. Okay, are you ready for today's talk? A huge part of a women's yoga practice is the quieter, more yin dimension of it. And that's exactly what I'll be focusing on today. So settle into your chaise lounge and soak up the twinkling blue view. Exhale and enjoy. We've explored women's yoga and developing a home practice, as well as common obstacles that arise when one embarks upon a meditation practice. Today, our second to last episode in this special summertime series is about yin and yang yoga and what the difference is, why we need them both, what are the benefits particularly of yin yoga, because that is more marginalized, has been more marginalized. I know I'm sharing a lot of stories from my early days on the path. And uh, as you maybe have noticed, my 20s were very adventurous, both in my inner landscapes and just that I was a globetrotter. I traveled and taught around the world and many times was living out of my suitcase. And I loved every moment of it until I didn't until I wanted to come here to Boulder and lay down some more roots, which is what I've been doing for the past eight years, just staying put a little bit more and having other kinds of adventures. So in my 20s, when I first moved to Thailand, I mentioned that I started meditating In the Buddhist tradition, I went on my first Vipassana meditation retreat, and I continued to go on those retreats. They were very ubiquitous around Thailand, which was really wonderful. I had a choice of so many different places to go, to monasteries down at the beach, to forest monasteries, to city monasteries. Really, the options were endless, And so I did many of these 10-day retreats. I did some of them back-to-back as I became more and more passionate about the practice and retreat life. And by the time I reached my mid-20s, I was ready for a longer retreat. I had heard friends who had come back from 30-day retreats, and I was very intrigued by that. I had a stretch of time when I was no longer teaching at that school in Thailand when I was self-employed and teaching yoga, leading, I started leading retreats and teacher trainings and writing for freelance writing for various yoga magazines, health magazines in the U S. So I had a lot of flexibility in my schedule and I decided to go on a 45 day retreat I went to a monastery that was just on the outskirts of the city that I lived in of Chiang Mai, and it was actually not that far away from where where I was living, but it felt like it was worlds away. I went, and rather than going with a group, starting with a group, moving with a group schedule, ending with a group, this was designed for people to do individually. So when I got there, I was led to the, dormi- the Foreigner's Dormitory. It was a long strip of a building. It was white, one story, and it was just comprised of small single rooms. And I was led to the room out of the way at the end of the building. The room was a square, and it had a simple twin-sized bed, had a little table, White tiled floors, white, thin white walls, a window with a screen and shutters, and a simple bathroom, Thai-style bathroom, not a squat toilet. We had a regular toilet, but uh, just a spray shower, cold water, and that was it. No no lamp, no light fixture. I, had to, I brought a little light bulb that I could plug into the socket next to my bed and some candles. And so it was very, um, simple living. And I settled into my daily schedule, waking up the traditional kind of monastery schedule, waking up at four to practice, going to sleep around nine. And as I was doing that, I became curious about the woman who was in the room next to me because the walls were so thin I could hear her meditation timer going off at 10 o'clock at night, 11 o'clock at night, 12 o'clock at night. And then much earlier than I was waking up three o'clock and then two o'clock. And I started to get really curious about her. Why, why is she meditating so much? This is crazy. Aren't we meditating enough in, you know, during the existing schedule? And during periods of walking meditation, because we were to alternate sitting and walking, we would often do these outside of our rooms, like kind of walk in a line forward and back. And she was walking very, very slowly. She just had this air of stillness around her. And the women, this was a women's dormitory. We all had to wear white cotton pants, white cotton top, and then kind of like this white cotton scarf covering over our chest areas, because these Thailand monasteries are very modest. And so she was wearing wearing this white, walking very slowly. And I noticed that there was a sign on hanging on her doorknob. It was a blue sign with painted with yellow letters that said, strong determination. And I remember when I saw that I felt this wave of fear just rush through me like a like a shiver. It was a hot season, so a shiver was kind of out of the ordinary. And I just had this premonition that that was coming for me too. And this Japanese woman left about a week later. And that was only when I was about a week into this retreat. So I still had a long ways to go. Still had over a month to go. And gradually, I would meet with the head of the, I would meet with the abbot, the head of the monastery, who's a Thai. Thai, So he spoke very little English. I met with him every couple of days and he would give me new instructions for my practice and kind of check in on me. And so as I was progressing, my practice periods would get longer. My days started to get longer. So I'd start waking up earlier, just a little bit each day, going to bed later, just a little bit each day. And I found that that was fine. I wasn't tired because I was meditating so much and it's such a restorative practice And I wasn't doing anything else all day, wasn't reading, wasn't talking to people, was just meditating, sleeping, and eating and bathing. And towards the end of my retreat, I got the instructions, it's time for your period of strong determination. And again, that shiver of fear came, came over me. And the abbot told me that I was going to spend three days and three nights meditating the whole time without sleeping and that I would be delivered one meal a day to my door. So I wasn't to go out to the dining hall for meals, but it would be delivered outside my door in the morning at around eight o'clock in the morning. And I could eat that then, or I could, it was kind of, if you've ever been to India, you might see, they're called tiffins, and they're, it's like a stainless steel pile of little circular containers that one fits on top of the other. So there'd be rice in one level, there'd be stirred fried vegetables in another, um, there might be some sort of curry in another, but you get the idea that I could just make this food last for the day if I wanted, but I found that I really wasn't even that hungry either. And as I was moving through these three days, I started to feel a lot of pain in my body. It was long periods of sitting and even the walking meditations, because we would alternate sitting and walking. I remember walking with my candlelight at two, three, four in the morning along this tile floor, my bare feet, and just my shins were aching from the tile floor, from the walking, from not sleeping. And I, I needed to have some reprieve from this pain. I, I did have a little period of time where I could do a yoga practice. And most days I did that. I did more of a flow yoga practice to move my energy. But I found as time went on, and I just had a lot of pain, also from sitting in my neck and my shoulders I found it helpful just to stay on the floor and do a forward fold or do like a pigeon pose or another hip opener and to hold those for five, 10 minutes to help to relieve the tension. And that really helped me. It was something I had never done before. And It really helped me to then be able to return to either the sitting or the walking practice. So fast forward a few months, that retreat was one of the most powerful things I've ever done, by the way. (laughs) It was really revolutionary for me. I left feeling so empowered, so euphoric, so present, so alive. I remember taking a taxi from that monastery back to my home and just the smells and the streets, the blue of the sky, the feeling of the air on my skin, everything just made me giggle with, with delight just to be alive and to be back in the world. And so I went home that summer, my oldest sister was getting married, went home to Connecticut. And as I was home for a stretch of time, I went back to Kripalu, which I mentioned before, I'd spent a lot of time there. I did my 200-hour yoga teacher training at Kripalu. I had done various retreats there, and I had assisted at least a dozen different teachers of yoga, meditation, Ayurveda. And so I went to assist this woman, Sarah Powers, whom I had never met before, never heard of her, and she was leading a yin and yang yoga teacher training. And I remember being really struck by Sarah when I first met her. She seemed to be very mm, soft spoken, but very confident, very smart, very uh, sure of herself, sure of her place, even though she wasn't like some of the other teachers that I had assisted there who felt more like rock stars like they came in with their bright colored outfits skimpy outfits and played loud music and created kind of this party atmosphere that seemed really popular but Sarah was much more subdued and she taught her training in just a simple room and she led really simple but deep practices that all felt very much like home for me. She incorporated the the four pieces that that I was so passionate about, the the flow yoga and what I would come to learn was yin yoga, the buddhism, both the philosophy and the practice, and also traditional healing modalities like traditional chinese medicine. I in Thailand, I was a student of traditional Chinese medicine of, and of acupuncture, and that was a big part of my understanding of the world. But she combined these all together, whereas I had them in these like separate little buckets. And Sarah told a story that really felt similar to mine, similar to the one that I shared in the first episode of this series about the mysterious path of women's yoga, how Sarah was a very avid, a strongest student living in L.A. at the time in her 20s, and she came across a class, a yin yoga class by a man named Paul Greeley, where you would just go and sit on the floor and hold these shapes like a forward fold or a hip opener or a backbend like Sphinx or Cobra for five to 10 minutes in silence. And how Sarah was was so intrigued by that. And it started to open up a whole new doorway for her in terms of practice. And as she went on to explain yin yoga, that it works like acupuncture or acupressure. And just like we, we insert a needle in acupuncture along one of the main energy lines of the body to stimulate it to maybe subdue the energy or to enliven the energy or or to remove a blockage and you want to stay still and present while that is there is the same for these yin poses that they work along different meridians in the body. So certain poses can work on the liver meridian or the kidney meridians or the spleen meridian or the lung or the heart. And that we want to hold them for extended time in stillness so that those deeper regions, those more yin interior regions of the body, of the subtle energy, of our joints, of our ligaments, can really be contacted. And that's different than the yang yoga, which targets more of the surface areas of the body, more of the muscles, and how we need to work muscles if you think about lifting weights through periods of a lot of repetition, through movement, through expansion and contraction. And I was really intrigued as I heard Sarah speak about this, because again, it was right after this retreat that I had done. And I remember telling her coming up to her after one of the sessions and saying, you know, I think I, I think I started doing yin yoga at this retreat that I was just on. I, I was doing these poses, I was holding them for 5-10 minutes, and it was helping me to meditate. And Sarah shared that, yes, yin yoga prepares the body for meditation in a very profound way because it opens up the main joints of our bodies, our knees and our hips, our shoulders, and also our spine to be able to hold this seated posture and that each of the yin poses, it is like a mini meditation. Because we're not moving, we need to learn to rest in stillness and to observe the sensations in the body, usually uncomfortable. If we're holding a forward fold for five minutes, we're going to feel like shards of glass in the backs of our legs, or we're going to feel those bands of tense muscles along the sides of our spine, and we're going to notice the rush of our thoughts and the obsessive planning and the persistent thinking. So I was really grateful that now I had a new lens to see what I was doing at that meditation retreat, just intuitively to help get me through it. And that I had a whole nother branch of yoga to incorporate So when I went back to Thailand, I started to incorporate this missing link to my practice. I started to have the meditation, the yin yoga, and then the flow yoga. And those three things have been the key components of my practice ever since. Adding the yin yoga was really a game changer for me. Because prior to that, I didn't really have a model for how to practice when I was really tired, when I was sick, when I had my menstrual cycle, when I had a full travel day and arrived to a hotel late at night and I felt ungrounded, I felt stiff, but I didn't want to do a a power yoga practice. I realized I could just do yin. I could just get on the floor or get on my hotel bed and do a few of these postures to get the energy moving, to target different organ systems, to get grounded. And this this was a real blessing. I started to see that I could have these quieter periods and a, a nickname for yin yoga is the quiet practice. And I could, you know, if I have a busy day or if it's, I like to do a yin yin practice on Sundays and Sunday mornings in particular, I will often listen to a Dharma talk like this, or maybe there's an online course that I've signed up for or something that I want to study. And I will listen to that as I'm doing the practice, as I'm in this really present contemplative state to let that seep seep in. Or if I'm very overstimulated, I have a lot of inner chatter, I need to kind of break apart these inner voices within me and see who's saying what and see what's really real here. I can can take that quieter time in my yin practice for that exploration. So bringing these three together creates a, a lot of wholeness. It creates... A lot of opportunity to sync up our energy levels, to sync up our cycles, to sync up our life rhythms with our practice so we can become really skillful with our timing and really skillful at honoring our body's rhythms, especially when so many of us struggle with varying degrees of adrenal fatigue. We, we really need all three components to help us to heal and to keep moving towards balance. So I encourage you to play with these three elements and to see how they enhance your life, how they enhance your mental state, your emotional state and the functioning of your body. And it's really Kind of counterintuitive, I found that to function more optimally at every level, I also needed to bring in a practice that caused me to do a lot, a lot less. Of course, there's so much more to say about Ian Yoga, and this is really just the tip of the iceberg. There's so many different sequences to help support us with different issues that we face, like I mentioned in the talk, adrenal fatigue, or PMS, or practice for our cycles, or different problems with our cycles, or pregnancy, sadness, depression, insomnia, anxiety, so many more. If you'd like to learn how to engage in this practice safely and effectively, and to teach it to other women, and to keep deepening in it throughout your entire life. You can find all of that in our Shi Yoga and Meditation Teacher Training, which you can learn more about at shiyogatraining.com. As I shared at the start of today's talk, registration for the next training is really just about to close. So if you would like to join us and the women who are already joining us from around the world, Head on over to that site and take a closer look because sisterly support around topics like yin yoga and countless others related to feminine spirituality await you in this training. Until our final episode later this week, I'm sending you my heartfelt support and thank you so much for being part of our sisterhood.